A long time ago, in a theme park far, far away, this attraction became the first to rely on non-Disney intellectual property. By merging the ideas of a breakthrough sci-fi film with high-tech military-grade flight simulators, an idea with humble beginnings was the first step towards a $4 billion acquisition of Lucasfilms in 2012. This week on Slice of Disney, Star Tours. Now, in a kingdom very, very near. Art, do hurry. The passengers are boarding. Prepare yourselves. Welcome aboard. For the ultimate Disneyland thrill attraction from the imagination of Disney and George Lucas. Because now, the adventure is real. Star Tours at Disneyland. In all the universe, there is no greater thrill. Welcome to Slice of Disney, an awesome Disney theme park podcast. I'm Kelly Washington, Disney-obsessed enthusiast and real-life Tinkerbell. And I'm Will Lentz, occasional Disney-goer and your father. Oh, I totally thought you were going to say Jedi. <laughs> no. You know, I was really going back and forth on this one, but uh, just uh, I am your father made too much sense to throw out here, um, which if you don't know that that's a spoiler yet, just shut this one off. Um, go watch the movies and it'll surprise you. <laughs> I that would be like if somebody was like spoiler alert it's a little late like, <laughs> yeah, right it is mm, well let's see uh many almost years. 50 years late yeah <laughs> if my math's right dang are the not. movies really that old no they're 40 I think oh. yeah that's right 40 years but still that's a lot of years wow that's a lot of years I mean I in in researching star tours which is so much fun because you're in the star wars universe yeah the ride debuted at Disneyland in 1987, which in some ways feels like forever ago and in some ways feels like in the rides we discuss on the the newer side. Yeah, I, I will say one of the things that I did this time, which I don't typically do, is I looked up like when rides were released in uh, the Disney canon and like... This one actually came, uh, like, as you said, in, in 87, but it came in, like, a dearth of other rides being released. It's, like, within that, from, like, 80 to, like, 92, there were only, like, five or six attractions that got released compared to what we're usually talking about, which was, like, four attractions for the World's Fair in one year. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> um, and so it's pretty interesting for me to see that, um, that it does. It feels both old and new which kind of makes sense for this ride because there are it, two versions of it. There's it, an yeah. older one and a new one. Yeah. God, oh, God. I'm so excited. We're in the Star Wars universe. We'll do a whole episode on Batu. Uh, I have two lightsabers. Yeah, I need to get one. I'm so excited to get one. It's so much fun. It really, You really feel like a cool Jedi. Yeah. No Padawan anymore. <laughs> well, uh, I think that's interesting. Like, what's your, I, I think for this one especially, what's your relationship with Star Wars like? Well, my parents loved it. So growing up, I remember that was just part of my life. We had all the, you know, my mom has like VHSs. And so, and I think it was more my mom actually that had a love for Star Wars. That's cool. Yeah. And so then I grew up watching the movies. I honestly, the prequels, I've only seen them once. I, I saw, them. I saw Phantom Menace, I think nine times in theaters. 
What? Which does not mean that I'm a fan now. It just means I was right at that age where it's like, I can go to the movies uh, and I love Star Wars. So let's go see it again I, without having taste in what a movie was yet. <laughs> so it was like, I'm just going to go wow. see more Star Wars in theaters. Um, That's amazing. I know. I know. It really is. It's really amazing. I've probably seen it the most out of anyone in the world. That's not true. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of prequels fans out there. but Yes. So uh, obviously, as I just said, I wasn't a big fan of the prequels, but loved the originals and then have enjoyed a lot of the newer movies. Uh, loved The Mandalorian. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, my phone case has Baby Yoda on it. So. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, um, what about you, Will? Well, I am a big Star Wars fan. I was, uh, I was a huge fan at a young age. Like I had all the books that were like, the, you know, here's all the ships and here's all the species and here's the, you know, stuff that you, the movie mistakes that were in it. And, um, it was, a, it was a thing with me and my dad, like he was a big fan of also. And so it was kind of like a, just a thing that we did together. So as the new movies have come out, I always make sure to go see them with him, um, over Christmas. Cause it's usually they come out over Christmas. Uh, I've become less of a fan as I've gotten older. Um, I don't know all the extended universe and all that kind of stuff, but it's a property that I have an attachment to. So getting to research this one and cover it was also pretty exciting. Um, I definitely enjoyed it. I like that this ride has stood the test of time with technology changing and has continued to have a fan base, even with Galaxy's Edge opening. Yeah, this one is a little uh, campy, right? And uh, I think that that totally worked when it first came out. And I think there's a there's a version of this where it doesn't work anymore with the more realistic Galaxy's Edge coming out, but uh, but it still it has that kind of like that special spot in a lot of people's hearts um, where they still enjoy it and you go on it and you know it's not like you're not getting the Millennium Falcon experience, but you are getting a fun kind of little interactive um, junior dip into Star Wars. I have thought a lot about this in preparing to do this episode. If I like this or the Millennium Falcon more. Mm, so you haven't been on Millennium Falcon yet, so I would love to get your what? thoughts. Yeah, you didn't go on it. No, I left. I'd been at Disney for uh, thirteen or fourteen hours. What a grumpy poo! <laughs> I was so tired. Oh my gosh! I've been there so, since seven in the morning, Kelly. What a grump! Okay, definitely a Disney casual goer, as you can see. <laughs> we went for my birthday, and most of us rode Smuggler's Run. I forgot that you didn't. Yeah, well, it was because, like, you refused to let us go to Galaxy's Edge until it was nighttime because it looks cooler that way, and which it probably does. But we were, like, saving it for the end, and I got in there early, um, like, five or six hours before you guys because uh, I was going to make a full day of it not having an annual pass. And uh, at that time, I was just real tired, you know? <laughs> wow. It was lame, but still. I'm so disappointed. We can go back to Tomorrowland and hang out. In front of Star Tours. Let's do it. So the beginning of this ride doesn't start with Star Wars. The inspiration was originally that they wanted to do an interactive ride simulator. And they weren't really sure where to go with it. They originally had the idea to put it in Discovery Bay, which was a land that was never built in Disneyland, designed by Tony Baxter in the late 1970s. And it was going to be kind of this like technologically advanced late 1800 San Francisco so already it's like okay and I and I guess it would have kind of connected to the big thunder mountain railroad area 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when you describe that to me, I think my same reaction is, okay, sure. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like, Tony Baxter, total imagineering genius. Yeah. That idea of kind of like, I don't really get it because it was ideas like 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea came from this idea and, you know, Figment and your imagination came from that. And like stuff like that's cool, but I don't really get where this was going. Yeah. And I think it's important too, like if it's set in the late 1800s, right, the it's kind of a, a dividing point, right? Because Star Wars and, and, and what we're about to get into goes into the future, right? And I think this is a time when uh, America and tourists are probably like, ooh, future sounds interesting. And going back to yeah. the 1800s, not as much, um, even if it is a cool, well-done version Even if of it was it. a futuristic version of the 1800s. Right. Like, is it steampunk? Not quite, but I don't know. That's Anyways. What, yeah, yeah. That's what it felt like to me. But yeah, so they that was the first idea that was kind of pushed to the side. So then it was proposed that they were going to make this ride simulator based on the 1979 Disney movie, The Black Hole. Which the Black Hole. I've the- never heard of it before. I mean, either. <laughs> but I do know it was Disney's first PG movie. And this idea was shelved because the movie was bad. And the idea for this ride was going to cost $50 million. Right. You don't double down on something like that. <laughs> um, I looked up a trailer for the black hole. Man, one of the things that they did for like the spacesuits was so clearly tinfoil wrapped around a woman's head that I was like, oh, okay, no. come on, guys. I understand <laughs> production values were different back then, but come on. <laughs> they Apparently, this was a really rough time for Disney movies. It seems that way. It seems that way. I went through some of the movies from this time, uh, a lot of flops, and one of them was called Cat from Outer Space. Okay. (laughs) Like, you know what? If you're going to go with the black hole, why not make a $50 million ride about Cat from Outer Space? I mean, it kind of makes sense, though, like that if they're going through a uh, creativity blank, um, the fact that they didn't have a lot of rides that came out around this, like in that same era makes sense, right? You're not, you're not succeeding at the, the box office. So you're probably not coming up with great ideas to build things. And that's why right. they were like, Oh, well, if we can't source it internally, if we can have this idea internally, what if we looked externally and, and led to our first sort of a uh, IP that's not Disney's. Right. And this was also towards the beginning of Michael Eisner's start at Disney. He became the CEO of Disney in 1984. Oh, okay, gotcha. That makes sense. So, so then I feel like there was a lot of changes trying to be made at this time. When he took over, he had a lot of strengths, but one of them was not theme parks. He had not worked in the theme parks a lot. So one of the things that he did was he asked his son, his 14-year-old son, he was like, hey, I'm going to take you to the parks. And his son was like, that's for babies. Ah. And so Michael Eisner's like, oh, I don't like that. I feel like we need a breath of fresh air. We need like cooler, more fun things. And even like, (laughs) this is a little questionable to me, but apparently he would have his son like in the room for pitches and he would like ask his 14 year old son like, hey, what do you, what do you think about this? Uh, That makes me hate Michael Eisner so much more. (laughs) Not that I, I I don't hate him. I think that that's Oh, man. I can't imagine being in that room, though, as an adult and be like, this 14-year-old kid is one kid, and he's your kid. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't know everything. <laughs> oh, that'd be so frustrating. You're pitching to a 14-year-old in a way. When, yeah. 
look, the 14-year-old made a great decision with thinking Star Tours sounded cool. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, Michael Eisner has a lot of bad ideas too. Maybe we can blame all that on this 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah, we could probably now blame his 14-year-old son for, for a superstar limo. <laughs> we, I am excited at some point we need to do a uh, an episode just on that one. Oh, man. The worst ride Disney ever created. That, like, um, did it, it never really opened, right? No, it did. Oh, it did. And during this time, like, it, Star Wars had already been an idea in the works, like, putting Star Wars into Disney parks. And apparently, George Lucas wanted to make his own theme park, a, a Star Wars theme park, but due to lack of funds, could not do so. That's so, a- and he loved Disney. So he was super down to team up with Disney to come up with something. And they did Captain Eos first. I'd heard that. I, I had heard the thing that I saw, and I don't know if this is true, maybe you can clarify, is that it was all part of the same agreement. It was like, if we can use Star Wars, then you can do this Captain EO thing. Or was it just he had like consulted and worked on Captain EO and they're like, oh my God, this show is so great. You have to do Star Wars here. <laughs> um, I don't know. So let's say yes, that's the truth. Sure. Uh, <laughs> man, have you seen Captain EO? Not to diverge it too much. Oh, I have. I, I, I saw it. I remember as a kid, I don't remember much about it other than Michael Jackson's involved. It's weird. Okay. It didn't hit. (laughs) We can leave it at that. (laughs) So that existed. And now we're at Star Tours. We made it, guys. We did it. (laughs) So apparently, George Lucas, again, he wanted to work with Disney. He loved Disney growing up and liked the idea of working with the parks. And so our dear Imagineer Tony Baxter came back. And he was a big part of this particular pitch, which was taking flight simulators which is not a necessarily which is not necessarily a new concept in some ways it's a little cheesy like the idea you know they saw it in the mall or something and it's like oh but we could do this times a million because yes. we're disney sure <laughs> um and so suggested this idea and they thought it was pretty cool so the imagineers went ahead and bought four military grade flight simulators that each cost That's a lot of money. But also, like, I wonder how much money that is compared to, like, what uh, roller coaster costs. Ooh, I mean, roller coasters are definitely expensive. But the fact that this costs this much without even making the ride. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Because that's just the vehicle you're in. You still have to do the production of the videos and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And, yeah, and building the building around it. Right. Building the actual simulation. All of that stuff. One of the things that I thought was really cool about the development of the like visual component, the video, is that back then when they were doing this, they produced it in the same way that they produced the actual Star Wars movies, which was a lot of practical effects. It's not it, at the time it wasn't CGI. Now there is more CGI, but they like fully went in and created these little miniature scenes and like flew the cameras through like you would like they did when they created the movie, and it like became a whole nother production. This was my favorite thing too. <laughs> Um, so I'm glad we agree. Yeah. So the the original Star Tours, not Star Tours, The Adventure Continues, is all practical effects. And George Lucas's team is called Industrial Light and Magic. And mm. so they were the ones who produced this first-person perspective film that is now then projected inside of the simulators. And they talked about the fact that this didn't, this wasn't easier than the films. Yes, it was shorter, but it was still a full 
production, with story, and it cost them six million dollars. Jeez. For for this like six minute clip. <laughs> well, I think one of the things they said challenging parts too, and I don't know how the whole this whole production stuff works, so I may be sounding dumb to someone that does know but was that they for whatever reason in creating the ride it had to be more of a one continuous shot instead of just uh, multiple like angles and stuff and i guess it makes right. sense if you're just pov the whole time you can't jump to b-roll or anything um so because of that it made it uh, challenging in a different way but also still a full-on kind of production thing which is really cool yeah. you know i honestly like I think what they've done with it, with the new version, is also very cool. I would love, though, if I could go see the old one again sometime. I think that'd be neat. Honestly, in researching and watching videos, it made me crave the old one. Yeah. Because I haven't seen the old one in so long. Sure. And even now, you know, with how many versions there are of Star Tours, The Adventure Continues, I feel like even the beginning versions of that I miss. Yeah, I believe (laughs) that. There's so much content yeah. now. It's like its own YouTube. There's so many things to look at. <laughs> should we should we let the audience know kind of what the framing device is of this uh, of this general ride? I think I'm I think I can give that pitch. Sure. Um, so basically, when they're developing this idea, um, it is you are in the Star Wars universe um, and you are a tourist, which is actually kind of thought was kind of funny. It reminded me of the Indiana Jones. Indiana ride. Jones. Yeah. That's really. <laughs> Like, I didn't even think about that. That They're like, we're working with George Lucas again. Yeah, I guess we're tourists. <laughs> so you're in a Speedster 3000 that's being piloted by um, a droid named RX-24, um, also affectionately known as Rex. It is Rex. his first day uh, captaining. And you're like, oh, no, that's not great. Because, you know, anytime you're on a plane, you don't want to hear a captain be like, welcome aboard. I'm Captain Will Lentz, and it's my first day flying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but all the same, you're on there. You're buckled up. You're ready to go. Uh, Rex, it is his first day. He's making a couple mistakes, and he takes you kind of all over the, uh, all over the galaxy at a couple different stops, um, ultimately ending up by accidentally running into a Star Destroyer. Uh, and you're like, oh no, I thought these were all gone. I saw the end of Star Wars, but nope, they're still here. Um, and then that takes you into, a, as you escape from that, you end up running into a Death Star. Um, canonically, people have figured out a way to make this kind of fit in and say that it's a, the Death Star 3, which I guess comes after the first two, uh, but it's not really specified in the actual ride. It feels to me like they're like, let's just make a thrilling ride and let's let the well, Star Wars geeks figure it out. And they did. Yeah, they actually, they worked so hard to try and keep in line with the story of Star Wars. But one of the things that when you're going through this battle, it's supposed to be reminiscent of the Star Wars films. You're supposed to be... And, and they wanted that feeling, which they, you know went back and forth if that was going to be okay since it does kind of contradict a little of the storyline but it was important to them um another thing that i love is our sweet rex was voiced after they auditioned a bunch of actors it's voiced by paul rubens That's, who's Wee herman which is cool how neat. crazy is that yeah um yeah, it's really cool. So that's the general premise of this attraction, um, is that you're on a, like a Star Wars tourism agency and you're and you're exploring the galaxy. And so there's been a couple different iterations, but I think it's important to know that's kind of what you're getting into as we go into like the queue and as we go into like what it ultimately ends up becoming. So that's just to set the table there. Yeah. So 
you enter a you enter the building and it is an intergalactic tourism agency. You see R two D two and C three PO working on a star speeder, and there's stuff on the screens, kind of different locations of where people are going. It feels kind of like an airport in the future. Yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to feel like a tourism agency. Like here's the destinations that you could go to. Yeah, and the Star Tours just replaced an old ride in Tomorrowland called Adventures Through Inner Space, which was the first ride that used the Omnimover. Oh, I cool. think that's super cool. I don't really know anything about Adventures Through Inner Space, so, but apparently there was like some huge microscope that, you know, the idea was you're being shrunk down to an atom, and then they kind of just like put where that was and just put a star speeder. <laughs> like... Cutting corners, Disney. It does. It reminds me a lot of the Guardians of the Galaxy, though I don't know what the original one looked like. That's what it reminds me of. 100% what I was thinking. (laughs) But the SKUs still cost a million dollars. Wow. I know. I guess I don't really have a lot of perspective for what other cues might cost, but uh, (laughs) that just seems like a lot. Yeah. I think that seems like a ton of money. Uh, they also obviously they had a lot of animatronics going on in this, but they could look very robotic, which I think is fun. So in the queue, they removed two of the animatronic geese from America Sings, which was still an operating ride at the time, and converted them into what they called G two droids. Get it? It was two. It was two geese. <laughs> and but, I think the way that they did it was basically just removing the outside costume of it and just having yes. the like robot inside the animatronic uh, exposed. Um, 100%. It's pretty cool. And you can still see them. And they have webbed feet, so you know exactly which animatronics they are. That's great. <laughs> but all of the cues are pretty much the same. And then yeah. you're ready to ride. And this ride was film. It was the practical effects. So it was on a 70 millimeter film projector located underneath the cockpit barrier. So this is a very classical, like, I love that this is before the CGI, even though at this time CGI was becoming a popular thing in film. But they kept it to the more classic. Well, it's good too. And, like, I mean, you know, I think. We've kind of gone through, as film consumers, we have gone through a various uh, iterations of, oh, everything CGI is cool because I've never seen it before. The Matrix, he's got the slow motion thing, and then everything does that, and it's whatever. And now there's a push in a way to go back to more practical effects. Like, that was a big piece of talking about the Star Wars, the, like, seven through nine was that they were going to lean more into practical effects and practical designs for aliens and that kind of stuff. And you see some of it, but there's still a ton of CGI in it too. So much CGI. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think we kind of yearn for that stuff, but also like, you know, honestly, if they'd made a 1985 CGI uh, video and then I went on that ride in the two thousands before they had updated it, it would have looked so dated, but being able to, you know, lose yourself in the practical effects, it still holds up in some ways. Um, so I I'm agree. glad they went that way. At the, I remember that the ride makes this weird noise, like the actual vehicle itself. Sometimes that, I don't know, I really like that sound. <laughs> sure, well, it probably feels like you're... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I don't, wh- what is the noise? Can you try to describe it? What does it sound like? Not You don't have to make the sound effect, but like, is it like lurching? Is it... Sounds like something is like shifting 
like a metal is shifting. Makes sense. And like a couple pieces are falling. I don't know. It makes it feel like it's happening. That, well, that's great. I mean, that's what I was going to say. You know, one of the things I think that's cool about Star Wars and the universe is like the rebellion or they're all operating off these clunky outdated kind of broken keeps breaking down spaceships like they have to get new parts for it it's all kind of like it's just a world where that stuff exists it's not brand shiny and new and so having that noise whatever it is probably wasn't intended to be part of your ride experience but it does no, seem but I to love add it. up with it yeah it's great are you are you in the rebellion oh yeah obviously me, yeah me too definitely <laughs> Who says they're in the Empire? Do you know anyone that says they're in the Empire? Yeah, I do. I'm not going to call them out by name right now, but people do. They like the dark side, you know? That's crazy to me. <laughs> you got, you okay, you got two people who are definitely not on the dark side here. Yeah. Uh, so back to this ride vehicle. So this was the first flight simulator ride. Yeah. Pretty shocking to me. Yeah. That is pretty crazy. I think the way that they, you know, the way that they made the motions are pretty cool, too, if you want to go into that for a second. Uh, yes. The ride vehicles are these hydraulic motion-based cabins that feature six different degrees of freedom, including the ability to move 35 degrees in an X, Y, and Z plane. So I think that this is, I feel like this probably inspired so many of the rides that we're used to now, like Indiana Jones where the ride vehicle can move so much. Mm -hmm. um, this simulator was patented as Advanced Technology Leisure Application Simulator, Atlas. 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 Sounds so cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a book of maps and stuff. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but with, in order to like sync up the motions with the video, they like had someone sit inside it and watch the video and be like, okay, well now it feels like I should go down. Now it feels like I should go up. Uh, yeah, he just, he's around, just using which, a joystick and basically playing the video game within the cabin. <laughs> and it seems mind blowing to me. I don't, I mean, I think that's just my disconnect between my visual brain and my directional brain. Cause like, I feel like if I'm like, well, if it's going down, then do I go up? Is it inverted? I'm so confused. Uh, I would, I, I would be terrible at that job. I would be too, but it seems like fun. I also think that this is the first time that we've used this technology and it's still so much better than most of the universal rides that try to use this technology. <laughs> sure. I, sorry to hate on universal again, but and not all rides are this way, but okay. Like the Harry Potter ride is the most forced version of this where you're literally on a claw and it's moving you in places, and you but you follow screens. There's some real stuff in there, too, so maybe that's a bad example. But the Despicable Me is just a huge, huge screen, and you move, like, a little bit, like, bibby, bibby movement. I haven't been on any of these rides. Oh, really? No. I mean... You've never been to Universal Studios? I went once on, like, a walking... Or not a walking tour. I went once on, like, a tour sort of thing with with mom when she came to visit one time. Um, but never, like... I haven't been since they did the Harry Potter world. So, I... It's... And we really only did that one, like, I'm Jimmy Fallon, and here's a tour through the lot. And it's like, okay, cool. That's all you did? I don't remember what else we did. It was, like, seven years ago. I'm so... Wow. <laughs> This is amazing to me. <laughs> I'm not not about to start slice of Universal a competing okay, podcast. Okay, okay, I get I get that I get that. Especially for the one in California, it's like 
two feet big. Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. Well, that's the one that I went to. And so I was like, okay. Man, there's nothing to do here. Yeah, there's not a lot going on. I feel like I've just pissed some people off, so I apologize. Um, it's okay. <laughs> They'll get over it. Yeah. Back to back to our back to our tour. Our star tour. Actually, something that I think is so funny is Michael Eisner didn't he wanted to name it Star Rides. <laughs> Did he? he? Like, I de- missed that. <laughs> yeah, he was determined to have the word ride in the title. How will they know it's a ride? Yeah. <laughs> How will they understand? And so uh, George Lucas was like, nah, Star That's Tours. Good. Star Tours is better. That's good. I also, one of the things that I saw, and I don't know if this is true, was that the reason that they went with tours instead of Star Wars, which might be a thing that people are obviously wanting to ask, is that it was around the same time that Reagan announced the space program Star Wars, uh, and they wanted to just kind of move away from the concept of war in, within this universe as they were creating this ride. So they're like, well, let's make it a tourism agency instead. I don't know why, but I just thought that was kind of funny. I always thought it was funny that Reagan named something Star Wars. That makes sense. Not the Reagan part, but that they wouldn't want to name the ride Star Wars. And even though you catch yourself in a war, you don't need the audience to know that's where we're going. Yeah. It's supposed We're supposed to just be tourists taking a commercial flight over to a moon in Endor. Supposed to just kind of be like Soren, except in the Star Wars universe. Um, but lo and behold, Rex, first day on the job, screws something up. I know. What a goober. So after opening Star Tours at Disneyland, they opened it at three more locations. At Disney's MGM, now Hollywood Studios, Tokyo Disney, and what was Euro Disney, now Disneyland Paris. The queues are pretty much all identical inside, but the Hollywood Studios one had a very unique outside. So the... The whole idea of Hollywood Studios or MGM Studios was it was supposed to be a working Hollywood film studio. Bah. Right. And so the outside is supposed to look like 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 the Forest of Endor. Right. The Forest Moon of Endor, which I will say, once again, goes towards my point that I don't feel like they super thought this out that much uh, because you're walking into the Forest Moon of Endor and you're getting on a Star Tours bus to go to the Forest Moon of Endor. I, yeah, I agree that that was a little messy because then you're like in the building and it's like wait what i thought we were already here, I was just here and, guys and then when you get off you're in the shops like in the marketplace of endor and then they later changed it to tatooine yeah which is a little more con- i don't know i am confused it's fun it, which I, I think that all kind of adds up to the direction that it ultimately goes to um that it eventually goes to with star tours the adventure continues. Yeah. So I think it's important to note, obviously, if they're going to take this ride to, you know, a couple of different parks, this is a wildly successful ride. Like, yes. People are dressed up as Star Wars characters. It is like probably one of the more successful things that they've done in a while when they launched this um, because it is oh, yeah. something fresh and new. Opening day was crazy. They had a whole Star Wars celebration. It was a 60-hour marathon from January 9th at 10 a.m. to January 11th at 10 p.m. where you could just be at Disney and people came super dressed up. Um, Obviously, George Lucas and Michael Eisner were there. Have you ever dressed up for a Star Wars thing? Or dressed up for like a release kind of movie, cosplay, sort of anything like that? Not really. Yeah. I have like, again, I, I'm more like I wear t-shirts and, sure. you know, I have lots of t-shirts and ears that are 
Star Wars as I'm wearing a pew pew shirt right That's now. That's true. It's cool. I, uh, <laughs> the as the aforementioned point um, for the premiere of Phantom Menace, I dressed up as Darth Maul, and my mom did my makeup <gasps> and stuff, and I had like the dual side lightsaber, and I won. Do you have a? a do you have a picture? I'm sure I do somewhere. I won a free ticket to see the Phantom Menace that night. I had already had a ticket because why would I go through all that trouble? But um, they ended up giving it to a couple people. Uh, wow. Shout out to Electric 96.9 FM, Paducah, Kentucky, for giving me that ticket. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it was fun. I'll try to find please, the pic. Yes, please find that photo. Uh, there, this ride also, just side note, costs, I get this is not a side note, costs $32 million. That is twice as much as Disneyland cost in 1955. <laughs> Which is insane. Uh, but I mean, if you know, like, I mean, they bought a flight simulator. They had a full movie production that went into it. Uh, you know, it was a big bet, but I think it paid off ultimately for them, especially like, you know, I, we teased this in the intro, but not for nothing. This probably was like, this was the formation of the relationship between George Lucas and Disney. Like, would the $4 billion acquisition have happened without Star Tours? Probably. But this was the first Who step. Who knows? In it. Something's got to be the first was. step. And the fact they had this relationship so early. Right. Right. I think that says a lot. So, yeah, it's a hugely successful ride. People are coming to see it. Um, they had this big marathon, and it, it becomes like this big part of the park. Uh, but there is this challenge as it goes on year after year going into the 2000s. It is still the same ride every time you go on it, right? You're still getting the same viewing experience every time. And there's a there's a desire to change it up, especially as the prequels are coming, as they are later on saying, we have better technology for this now. We have uh, the postquels coming to seven through nine. Like, how can we update this? And because of that, they decide, you know, it's a digital ride. We can update it. Right. <laughs> so they decide to and- do it. They, even from the beginning, they wanted to do an almost, not choose your own adventure, but a multi-venture experience for people. They just didn't really know how or have the technology or budget to do that. So in 2005, George Lucas actually teased that there was going to be a new version of Star Tours underway. In 2005, that was the same year that Revenge of the Sith came out and the, uh, the prequel trilogy was completed. Um, so while I think there probably was excitement that Star Tours was going to get a rebrand or a refresh, I think people were probably also a little cautious based upon George Lucas's uh, previous three <laughs> contributions in the prequels. Um, but Revenge of the Sith was actually a pretty good one. So uh, it, that makes sense that that's the timing of the announcement. I need to go back and rewatch them. I need to just do it. Um, so, with the announcement of the teasing that Lucas does, uh, that there's going that they're going to kind of rework this Star Tours ride. Um, ultimately, what they decide to do is they they decide we have a lot more content now. We want to offer a different, um, as you said earlier, Kelly, kind of a choose your own adventure or kind of a randomized sequence of events um, to give you a little bit more uh, unpredictability when you go on this ride. Um, and so now, when you go on it, you could see one of a huge number of possible uh, storylines that you're gonna be into. They all follow kind of a similar pattern, but it's one of the benefits of having like a digital ride like this. In fact, you know, even when they relaunched it, I think it was 2011, right? Yes. The ride closed in 2010 at most locations, except for Paris, it seems like they kind of just forgot. (laughs) And that one didn't come till like 2016 or something. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, And then in 2011, when they reopened it, they, 
you know, they, they introduced this new, new ride experience. Um, but one of the benefits too is as they have been able to release new films since it's digital, they've also been able to coincide that with uh, new scenes that are being added into this. So I can imagine if you went on this ride in 2012, um, you, and then you went on it again in 2019, you could get even more content, which I think is a really cool thing that you can do with this kind of ride. Yeah. The, the ride um, now pretty much exists in three segments. There's going to be an opening scene, a main destination, and an ending scene. But your, your journey is a little different. You're no longer just going and chilling to try to get to Endor on a leisurely cruise. You're actually, we retired Rex, which is very sad. He was very loved as a character. And they've obviously tried to keep him, as you can go see him DJ now uh, in Galaxy's Edge. But... Uh, now you have C-3PO piloting and trying to protect a rebel spy. Right, right. Um, who's the rebel spy, you might ask? Could be any one of us. It could. I've been it. Have you? Oh, that's cool. Uh-huh. It was really fun. I had a, one of like the alien, I had an alien beanie on from Toy Story, and I got chosen, and I felt very cool. Cool. So yeah, the uh, the rebel spy is shown is displayed in a picture on the screen, and it is someone within the audience that either I think a cast member might say like, oh, we should get that person, or they just kind of randomly pick someone, um, and it kind of makes it fun, especially if they're in your party. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that Kelly was a spy this whole time. <laughs> it was like she would be the worst spy ever, <laughs> but still. <laughs> pew pew pew. Actually, I don't think I think you'd be a good spy. Mm, I don't know if I would. You'd be a good spy. I think you would be a good one, too, because you're an actor. I feel like you could easily. You'd be, maybe I would use my acting skills and you would use your survivor skills. Right. Together, we could Together. Spy. We could be a reverse <laughs> spy. We could, Like the Americans 2.0. Yes, we'll be the most awesome spies <laughs> ever. God. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to cut all this down. No. No, it's cute. I may well keep it. So once you've given that spy, you're right. 3PO is now your captain. And it's like, great, 3PO is not a, a captain, but it, well, here we go. And you do. You, you start off the first act basically being uh, the bad guys have found out there's a rebel spy on board and they're going to try to capture you. Um, and you might see a couple different scenes here. You might see Darth Vader and the Imperial Stormtroopers. You might see um, the First Order and Kylo Ren. Or, or you might just see like a First Order kind of group that's trying to keep you in there. And at the same time, you're trying to fly away. And so you're going to end up making an escape and making a jump to hyperspeed. After that, it's going to take you into the second group of scenes that you might run into. And these scenes all seem kind of environmental in theme. Uh, you're still going to be like, they're, they're classic scenes from the Star Wars movies, uh, but at the same time, they've got like kind of an environmental pull to it. So you might end up on the ice planet of Hoth, if you remember that, um, with the big AT-ATs and all the snow and stuff. Or They apparently really, really wanted to put that in originally. Sure. But couldn't like find a way for it to work. Like th this was one that they were like, we have to find a way to go to the ice planet. <laughs> well, it would be really tricky to do that just because like from a canonical standpoint, blow up the Death Star, then you have a number of years where there are no Death Stars. And that's right. when Hoth happens. Right. And then there's another Death Star. So it's like, I think you had to pick one. You could either pick like the Hoth planet or the Death Star and ultimately right. with, with the Death Star. 
Um, but also in this in this grouping of scenes, uh, you might go to Tatooine, uh, where you can actually pod race, which I think would be really cool. That would probably be my like one of the one of the few really good pieces of the prequels is the pod oh, racing yeah. stuff. I love the pod racing. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, and I feel like that would be a really fun one one to be in as well. Um, you can also end up in Jakku or Endor or Kashyyyk which is the Wookiee planet. Um, so you're getting kind of some yeah. forest or some deserty stuff. Um, I think actually the indoor system is where you can end up, where you land on Kef Burr, B-I-R. Uh, which is the newest edition. One of the newest editions, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where you're like, where the old Death Star crashed and you're in water and you're kind of like, in going in through the ruins of the old Death Star and you actually run into the trash compactor monster, which I think is kind of cool too, uh, <laughs> before you escape and, and hyper jump away. And then you get to the final act. And the final act almost always is some sort of battle that you're getting thrown into. And the battles are all going to be these iconic battles again, where you're 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 contributing and you're part of uh, the rebel forces as, as you're trying to uh, defeat the Empire of First Order, whatever it might be. Um, could be the Battle of Coruscant, uh, Battle of Naboo from the Phantom Menace, uh, Death Star battles, um, or even the kind of the final scene in Rise of Skywalker where they are on Exegol. Yeah, Exegol, the uh, weird made-up Sith planet. <laughs> not to get too. <laughs> we're, we're not. This is. We're not discussing the movies on I'm this backing, podcast. I'm backing away from it. Backing away from it. Uh, you're on Exegol, and there's all these star destroyers, and you're and you're trying to help out people there. And um, you actually get like a, a, a Lando comes on for a second and talks to you. It's like Billy D. Williams, and it seems very cool. I haven't seen that one, and I'm. So, I want to. I haven't gotten to see that. It looks fun. It looks version fun. of it. So yeah, this is just a way, like they said, to um, kind of give you a different experience every time you go on, but a true Star Wars experience every time you go on. And I think it's really cool. Like I've, I've watched a couple of videos on YouTube and it always just, it seems really fun. And I'm honestly itching to go back and try it out. Me too. I know. It, and at this point they have just kind of said goodbye to any linear storyline whatsoever. It's kind 100%. of just like cool Star Wars things. Pew pew. Uh, so, you know, I got a question for you in relation to Star Wars. Are you familiar with the concept of the Star Wars Extended Universe or Star Wars Legends? No. Okay, totally fine. I, listeners probably aren't also. Prior to Disney buying Lucasfilm, um, Star Wars basically allowed for people to create stories within the Star Wars world. Um, yes. And that weren't necessarily affiliated with Lucasfilm or, or, or with Star Wars. Um, and it could be canon. Uh, when... Disney acquired them. They decanonized all of it and put it into uh, Star Wars Legends. Um, so all this stuff of like all these old books and all these series and stuff were no longer part of the official Star Wars canon. And there was a minor uproar about this among super Star Wars nerds. Um, and that's the why, reason I heard about it. I don't care. Like I'm not, it's not someone, I'm not into all that, but I remember uh-huh. hearing about it. So one of the things I saw was they actually put Star Tours into that Star Wars Legends too. So the original version with like Death Star 3 or whatever it might be. Wait, really? Yeah, that is that is technically officially part of Star Wars Legends and the extended universe and it's no longer. And I think that's where this factors into um, because it's like, well, was C-3PO really piloting a Star Speeder 1000 during the Battle of Exegol? No. Um, so it's part of this like extended <laughs> non-canon but still kind of part of the Star Wars family. Um, experience. Which wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat, and I was like, I know some stuff about Star Wars. I will share that with the audience. 
That is so interesting. And so particular about a made-up universe. <laughs> 100%. Um, so that's how they can get away with all this, like, all these random kind of connections and stuff. But at the end of the day, the name is to have fun, and I think that's what this ride is. 100%. This ride is so much fun. I think a lot of innovation came from it. I think the fact that Star Wars is so impactful to people, they built an entire land for it. For says sure. a lot when we started with just this ride. Yeah. And and how much this ride would affect people. When they opened Star Wars, The Adventure Continues, they did kind of have a cool big party. Not quite as big as the original. Uh, the original even had like a Star Wars ballet performance. <laughs> it's all a video of that. It's wild. Uh, total bummer that they didn't bring that back. For that sure. should just like exist at Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would support it. I think it would be in the Star Wars extended universe, non-canon area. Not can- but <laughs> at the same time, um, I think it would be cool. Well, I'm down for that non-canon universe. So this one, rem- this reminds me a lot of Indiana Jones, where we have Hidden Mickey's and Easter eggs that don't just belong to Disney. It's a lot of fun things for Star Wars fans. Like the announcer uh, calls out an illegally parked uh, speeder with the license number THX1138, which is the name of the first movie studio by George Lucas. Yeah. I thought it was like the name of the speaker brand, the THX Experience or whatever. Honestly, like, wait, me too. Me too. That's what I thought. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> As a Star Wars nerd, I was like, I don't know that one, but sure. <laughs> and then the announcer also pages Mr. Igorg Sakal. The name uh, is George Lucas backwards. Yeah. Creativity. Uh, another, this one feels kind of random to me, but there's a voice that uh, also says Mr. Tom Morrow. It's a character from Disneyland's now defunct Flight of the Moon attraction, which I don't know about. I haven't even heard of that. I haven't either. Disney nerds, come at me. Tell me about it. <laughs> Help me. I can't believe I didn't know about that. Help me, Disney nerds. You're my only hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, uh, one that is a hidden Mickey is that the Star Speeder 300 has several blast marks on it one of which appears to resemble a hidden Mickey. We got a little classic Mickey there. Yeah. And I also think the one that's cool is if while you're in the queue, um, there's a lot of like droid construction pieces too, and you can actually see a model of Kermit uh, the Frog that's being made out of spare parts. Oh, Um, cool. Yeah, which I think is neat. Uh, One of my favorite uh, random facts that I think is, I would maybe consider this a hidden Mickey. I'll let you be the judge. Um, Are you familiar with... I've got a bad feeling about this from Star Wars, Kelly. Yes, of course. Okay, well, he uh, Rex says it in the original one. Yes, I know. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, I've got a bad feeling about this is a line that is in every single Star Wars movie um, said by some character. Uh, and it's always like a, woo, they said it this time. It's like Yay, fun. we know that the fun is about to happen. Exactly. Uh, fun fact story that you might know in... The Force Awakens, it seems like no one says it, but BB-8 says it, and it's just in beeps, so you wouldn't know. I did not know that. Yeah, ben, Slash, ben I didn't Schwartz, even notice. the dude who does like, the sound effects for that, uh, can confirm that, whether or not that's true, I don't know, but he says it is. Aw. If they didn't have it in there, that would be messed up, yeah, so I, that has to be correct. There's a basket of parts at the Droidnostic Center in the ride queue at Disneyland and at Hollywood Studios, 
with hidden initials and birth dates of Walt Disney Imagineering and ILM members who all worked on the attraction. That's cool. I think that's super cool that you're honoring all of the different people who worked on it. And also in Batu, there's hidden places all around the land with Imagineers who worked on the land and their initials and stuff. That's cool. I'm excited to, uh, to, to do an episode on Batu. I think that that'll be a fun one. Then we can get even nerdier about Star Wars. Right. Um, as if you guys aren't annoyed with my nerdness. Already. <laughs> Impossible. Um, one of the things that isn't written on here, but I've always been told, is that the original, like one of the first animatronics ever is in the queue. Just like one of the first animatronics ever invented? Yeah, it's like one of the first robots is like in the queue for Star Tours. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, they say that there's a real skull in Pirates. So, you know, uh, it could go down as one of those types of urban legends. I, you know how there's the library for the president and he gets all of our nation's secrets? <laughs> um, yes, I don't know if that's true, but sure. Okay, well, I wonder if like the CEO of Disney gets all of these Disney secrets. Like, you can just ask all these questions. That would be really funny. I want to know if Area 51 is a real thing. And they're like, wrong job. Um. Oh, you know how we've discussed a lot of the different sponsorships that have happened at Disney? Yes. Okay, apparently at one point, the Energizer Company uh, sponsored Star Tours. And so when that was a thing, the Energizer Bunny would have a cameo gonna say that that was probably in star wars legends (laughs) non-canonical i was like that is so strange i don't remember that ever being a thing that's wild yeah (laughs) there's definitely a lot more hidden mickeys and a lot more easter eggs we're gonna keep them to that for now but please look them up yeah we'll do like an maybe maybe we can do like an exclusive easter egg episode for anything that we didn't have time for yeah because there is a lot something else that was brought to our attention uh thank you listeners i love you um is that right now we talk about fast passes and stuff which this ride has uh and i recommend it it's usually one of the ones that will have fast passes available throughout the day so you'll be able to get it but uh, you know it it, they still it's a hot item but not too hot it's not going to run out by, you know, 9 a.m. Right. But right now, uh, obviously, because of COVID, there are no fast passes for any rides. That's so something important to know yeah. as you're going, if you're going to the parks right now. Um, so with that said, I feel like let's jump into our normal questions. Um, if the fast passes can be like kind of hit or miss, not a, not a crazy um, hot ticket item, but like something that you got to kind of plan for, uh, where does this fit into your day if you're going to go on it? It's usually the ride that I'm either bummed that I didn't ride or a later in the day thing once the lines have calmed down. Or if I happen to be going by it and it has a short line, great. Okay. So I do it- I, I do try to get a fast pass most of the time. And then depending on whenever the fast pass time is, is when I go. If, if I don't have a fast pass, I'll do it late because there's no line. Is it an every, every trip kind of thing? I, know, I guess you just said that you sometimes regret not going on it, but... It's usually not an every trip ride, but I am regretful that it's not. Like, I'm always bummed. Like, oh, man, I wish I rode that. And like I said, I'm not sure how I feel about this compared to Smuggler's Run. They're both super great in their own way. And right now, I feel like I'm having the nostalgia for Star Tours, so I'm really craving Star Tours. Sure. <laughs> um, but but I, I do like Smuggler's Run a lot. Yeah. So I don't know. 
Okay, so if you're on your way out of Disney and you're, it's the end of the day and you see that there's like a 10-minute wait, because I know you said you sometimes keep an eye open for that with this ride, um, do you uh, abandon your attempts to leave and go on the ride? Oh, 100%. Sure. I could see that. I could see that because it's not, I don't know. Yeah, this, this one is one that I would do that for too. Yeah, it's on the way out too, which is nice. And it's, it is a really good end of the day. You sit. But it's still thrilling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the last question, what would you change? And I've got a good answer for it already, but I'm going to let you go first. Ooh, I can't wait to hear yours. Um, I think instead of choosing a change, I would say I would kind of want them to do what they're doing with Soren, where sometimes they bring back the original Star Tours. Yeah, I like that too. I think if I had the option, I would definitely try and do both in one day. But if I knew it was like a limited run, I would definitely choose to do the old school one. I think it'd be cool to see the practical effects. Yeah. Um, My change is uh, a narrative change. I would say in order to make sense of this whole weird canon, you're going to all these different types of things... um, time travel has been invented in the Star Wars universe and we got to go back in time to like save somebody from doing X, Y, and Z and then everything goes amok and you're jumping back and forth to all these iconic scenes Um, and then at the end they're like, oh, well, that was a mess. Let's never do that again. Um, That would be really fun. (laughs) Right? And It it, it wouldn't change the ride experience at all, but at least it would just be like, okay, well now, all right, it makes sense to me and I'm in. And it would just be fun to have these, like, Star Wars big moments, like, I don't know. You can't change, like, Luke, I'm your father, but you, you could change other things. You could have a fun, like, if while we're thinking about it, you know, you could then have a fun interaction between, like, somehow Darth Vader ends up on your thing, and then and then now he's running into Kylo Ren, and they're like, Darth Vader's like, who's this guy? And Kylo Ren's like, I know who you are. <laughs> I don't know. It's It's messy, but it'd be fun. It'd be cool to watch a, you know, lightsaber battle and then then be like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. You guys should kind of how they do in the old school one where it's like, why are you here? But instead it's with the, they can use the force now to like make you move. That would be fun. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that would be fun. This, there is so much that you can do here. Uh, Something that I didn't talk about earlier that I want to just throw in real quick is one of the things I always find so fascinating is that this is a ride where your mind is playing tricks on you the whole time because it does really feel like you're moving a lot and you're really not moving that much so sometimes I'll like close my eyes and then you just feel it move a tiny bit and you're like wow this is so wild that's cool (laughs) I never thought about that yeah and that's my last little bit for Star Tours we did it we defeated the Empire Yay! Um, and now you can go watch Baby Yoda because he's the cutest. Ooh, I would. That would be the other change. Baby Yoda is definitely in Star Tours now. That would be fun. Or the child. Yeah. I'm sure. You know. I, yeah, I can't imagine that they wouldn't try to. I, they will. Add the Mandalorian like and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they have to. It's That'd so fun. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Star Tours. Uh, please make sure to like, subscribe, and rate. Share with your friends. Reach out to us on various social channels or through email. Um, we're Slice of Disney on Facebook and Instagram, Slice underscore of underscore Disney on Twitter, or email us at sliceofdisneypod at gmail.com. Please keep sharing with us your Disney experiences because that is super exciting for me. Uh, until next time, we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Okay,